Hello and welcome back to another episode of Season 2 of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. The podcast where I meet some of the leading figures in the insurance and insurtech space, bringing you insight into their views and opinions on the sector, career journeys, as well as a deeper look into the actual person behind the desk. For Season 2 of the podcast, we've decided to focus on something uh, slightly different and purely go in on inspiring female technology leaders in the sector. Uh, exploring their journeys today, understanding more about what they love about technology and insurance and discussing their thoughts on how we can get more talented females into the sector. In this episode, I bring you Kim Gray. Kim has a 20-year-plus career history spanning insurance, banking, management consulting, and has recently left her role as head of insurance consulting at NTT Data in order to take a step back from full-time work and be an independent consultant, uh, part-time supporting businesses designing their strategies and helping them support the business uh, around DNI and consulting various other things. Kim has seen a lot across the, her years in the financial services sector. She's got an incredible career and I was absolutely engrossed in this chat from start to finish. She provides some brilliant insight and advice for people at all levels while giving her opinions on the DNI challenges in, in the insurance space and, and, and what we're facing right now across uh, insurance and what the wider FS sector. Kim, she actually might be my favourite guest so far, so I'm really looking forward to you guys hearing this. Uh, I love listening to everything she had to say. So without further delay, let's get behind the desk with Kim Gray. Kim, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thanks. Thanks for being with us, first of all. I know you're very busy. Um, so, um, look, I, as I say, I always do an intro before, but I probably don't do it justice. So it would be great to just kind of give the listeners and, and me a, a bit more of a, a background on who you are, what you're doing at the moment, your background. So I have recently, uh, so back in March, stepped away from full-time corporate life after far too many years that I want to <laughs> mention, <laughs> but rather thrillingly, have become an independent uh, consultant. So originally the intention was to focus just on executive coaching, which I've been doing for years, both pro bono and fee paying. But actually a number of people have reached out and said, can you come and do a piece of consulting uh, for us? We want to look at something in particular and I'm doing a number of consulting projects at the moment, which is absolutely great because I'm rolling up my sleeves and getting stuck in and, you know, that's, I'm, I'm loving it. So that's very nice, but I'm a twat. So <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, I don't work Monday or Friday if I can that's help good. it. And I'm, I'm really enjoying that because it's enabling me to do other things. So, you know, and, and that's not work related. That's, that's, kind of hobby related if you like so yeah it's great fun amazing so i i say i always like to go back right to the start so we'll go through the career and kind of rapid fire of what you've been doing um i'm sure um we'll talk a bit about the most recent consulting stuff that you've done but t yeah. take us back to the, the very start so kind of how, how did you get into technology and what was the entry point talk to us about that in the last century, yes. Um, well, I should go back to the very beginning because that might be helpful to anybody listening to this, particularly if they're a graduate. So I actually left school with two O-levels. Right. Um, I had quite a difficult start in life for many reasons, childhood-wise. So 
it was it was tough to stay at school and to study and so on for various reasons. But you know, it wasn't a great start in life back back then. You know, I think my mum said your two options, sorry, three options were air hostess, shorthand secretary, a typist, marry someone rich. I did marry somebody rich first of all, but that didn't work out. Um, <laughs> so I did I did shorthand typing, and actually that has proven quite useful because I can type at 80 words a minute and I can still do shorthand, so it's quite a useful skill. Anyway, I started in the recruitment industry and then I recruited myself into a role in a company called Hambro Life, which gave me back in the day um, a very small amount of founding shares, which actually ended up buying was a deposit for my first ever property in London. So that was just sheer fluke. Uh, that was luck. And that company then became Allied Dunbar, and that's now owned by Zurich Financial Services. So that's how I got into financial services. And I've never, ever been in any other sector. So I started whatever I did. And when I first went into management consulting at Coopers and Library and now PwC, uh, I was pegged as a dubious recruit because I didn't have an academic background. And, you know, I was very conscious of that. It was at Achilles Heel, but it was actually at, at Coopers and Lightbrand that I did an open university psychology degree. So I kind of filled the gap that I felt I had, largely because I've always been fascinated by people and what makes them tick. And that was extremely useful both in consulting, but also in business development years later, because you will know yourself, the more senior you become sooner or later, there's an element of business development if you're in consulting. So uh, that was very useful to understand. And I did in in the psychology degree, I spent quite a lot of time at, at sort of behavioral, industrial, behavioral science, thinking about what you know, the different types of ways of communicating with people. And that's always held me in very good stead in terms of, of what I've done. But to answer your question, back in Allied Dunbar days, the first portable technology was a huge, huge uh, machine that looked a bit like a sewing machine. You actually tipped it sideways, took the keyboard off and you know there was a, a very long-standing joke in Allied Dunbar because they had a direct sales force and it was you know I'm here to stitch you up because you arrived with this thing that looked like a sewing machine but that's how I got into technology and I everything I've done I would say I have learned on the job soaking up everything around me so watching people asking questions, being deeply curious. And that has always been how I moved to the next level. So uh, I'm, I'm essentially very nosy yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a deeply curious way. I, I think I'm very similar, to be fair. I'm not sure I've, uh, I've learned too much uh, through, through the kind of typical educational route, but, but certainly a lot through just uh, soaking up information. So, so did, you, did, you, did you ever, were you ever a, a, a techie as such yourself? Or what, what, were, the, what were the types of jobs that you, you actually did in, in the early days? I mean, I, in, in Dunbar, I became part of the technology services 
uh, team. And that essentially meant that once a month you sat on the help desk and, and that was great. I, you know, you learned so much in the process and we essentially, it was more training based because as you will know, a lot of people, and this is still true to this day, isn't it? A lot of people, if they're struggling with technology, it's because nobody's actually taught them how to use it properly. So I learned a lot in the process of doing that. Was I ever formally trained in terms of technology? No. Everything I have learned, I have read or about or and educated myself or somebody has taught me because I've asked the right questions. So, And that resonated all the years later when I was running a team, many teams. Always I had a technical architect and that technical architect was exhausted by me asking them so many questions. So every technical architect who's ever been in my team, I owe a lot to, you know, because they taught me uh, an awful lot and I was therefore able to be credible with clients. But I always said to them, you know, I am not at the root, grassroots of who I am. I'm not a technologist, but I know enough to be dangerous, you know. So I think, you know, you've got to be honest in terms of what you have and you haven't got. But I think if you're curious, you know, you go a very long way because the more you seek in the way of information, the more you gain. But I, I also did my own research and reading. So I, I think, you know, and if I didn't understand it, then I would go to the technical architects and ask them the, the relevant questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so obviously you mentioned financial services. Was it was it always purely insurance or was that just no. the latter years? How how did what did that evolution look like? Well, when I when I moved into so it was ten years at um Hamburg Life Allied Dunbar, I then became a dubious recruit at Coopers and Lybram where I stayed for five and a half years. That's where I, I was trained for the first time to be a management consultant. And it was in financial services still because actually my experience from Allied Dunbar was deeply relevant to Coopers and Lybram at the time. Not many people had left and therefore my, my lived experience was of interest to them. But they took me into different parts of financial services, so banking. So it's the first time I worked in investment banking. I did an amazing project with a company called Dean Witter in America, and they flew us by Concord once a month to do progress updates. I mean, extraordinary. I mean, absolutely amazing experiences. I was going to say, what was that? I mean, it's totally off piece, but that, what, what was that? I mean, I was, it's so funny. I was talking to someone about that. It's, it's one of the only industries that's kind of almost gone backwards, isn't it? If you think of how quickly Concord used to be able to get there, now it's kind yeah. of, now, now it, 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 the, the evolution is, is gone, is, is gone the wrong way, really. It takes longer to yeah. get to, to New York now than it did. Although they, are, they are talking about it. I think the problem is there's so many costs related to it, but I, it, it was extraordinary at the time. I mean, you can't... Once a month as well. You know, I was, I was in my late 20s. The thrill of this was just oh, extraordinary. Wow, yeah. But um, that got me into banking. And, you know, so I was part of a team as I was leaving... And I'll explain what I did next in a second. But as I was leaving there, I had just been part of a eight 
man and woman team who delivered 24 by 7 banking into the UK by telephone. I mean, radical then, obviously not radical now, but, and that was for Citibank. So, you know, deeply thrilling stuff. I learned so much. I mean, every single day uh, I was learning something. And actually, I would say in my career, every single day I've learned something. I'm still learning things now. And that's, that's what it's all about. So from there, I was headhunted by the executive sales director of Allied Dunbar had left, along with a lot of members of um, the board, to set up a new wealth management company, which is now called St. James Place Capital, but at the time was called J. Rothschild Assurance because we had... Uh, use of Lord Jacob Rothschild's brand, uh, which we obviously paid for. Um, but, you know, having Rothschild associated with the new startup wealth management company. So I became founding member number six and I set up the technology services within J. Rothschild Assurance. And I did that for seven years and it was thrilling. So thrilling, in fact, that I, I drove every day from Chiswick, where I was living, to Sirencester. Yeah. You know, and I worked deeply long hours, but it was just such a, a buzz, such a great experience. So, and that, that gave me founding shares. So I still have some of those shares, but I sold uh, quite a few of them. And that gave me a capital amount that I, you know, maybe kind of semi-independent financially that meant that I wasn't uh, under pressure in, a, in quite the same way. So that was that was a great experience on so many different levels. Yeah. A lot of very recognised, you mean, having living just outside Swindon, you've uh, allied Dunbar and Sirencester is, and, and St. James's Place. It's, there's a lot of very recognisable brand yeah. names for, for me when I was, uh, I was growing up. Certainly they were, they were kind of every, I mean, most people ever worked for them or, uh, or nationwide. It was kind of the, Absolutely. the, the big business yeah. there, but uh, it's quite a massive business now, isn't it? Yeah, and funnily enough, I, I did a, a consulting project for Nationwide when I was leading the financial services team at Capgemini after yeah. uh, Jay Rothschild Assurance because, you know, after seven years of doing that commute, we, we were kind of business as usual at that stage and I stepped away to come back to London because, you know, it was a long old commute and I got headhunted by a mate who had gone to Cap Gemini and I went there and I was there for about three years. So all of my jobs, by the way, from a, from the original one, I've been headhunted by people who um, I've stayed in touch with. So, you know, I've always been a great believer in keeping your network yeah. uh, very fresh and healthy and keeping in touch with people. Yeah. So that so that that role when um, Capgem and I was that again. Obviously, I, I, there's there's a, a mix there of kind of con- client side consulting out to client side back to consulting, and then you, I think you stayed consulting from then until till recently. I did. Um, I did. And 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 so did you? Did you ever kind of start to? What was the point you started to kind of major in on in insurance? There was that was that at Cap or was that was that still fairly broad? Uh, well, I I never. Insurance was always part of um, what we were covering, but actually, I suppose um, 
a good part of what we were doing was in investment banking right. and some retail banking. So I've, I've sort of covered all of those within financial services. Actually, uh, over time, because I, I guess from CAP, uh, I started to um, focus more on, on technology and services consulting as well as business consulting. Uh, and I ended up in a, a, a place through acquisition, actually, um, called Detica, which was an extraordinary place to work. And I was there for 13 years, including when it got acquired by BAE Systems. And at Detica, I developed from one person into a humongously huge account, uh, Thomson Reuters. So first of all, Reuters, then Thomson Reuters, as it got acquired by Thomson Financial, and ran that as a global account, traveling all over the world with it, going to the States again, going to New York once a month with Thomson Reuters uh, in the early 2000s. And, you know, that, of course, was a different aspect of financial services. I mean, predominantly selling, they were selling information services into uh, the banking industry, but it's a different aspect. It was more getting me into data. Mm. And actually, data was something that began to fascinate me. And I think the combination of technology and data, and of course, all these years later, the insurance industry is awash with data. So, you know, sorting out your data is something that I think most insurers have either been doing or trying to do for years. But actually, I went back into insurance specifically when I joined NTT Data because uh, banking believe, belonged to a different uh, part of NTT Data and I was responsible purely for insurance. So I, I kind of went back into the industry after a gap of about 15 years and not much a change. <laughs> I was, I was, that's so funny you say that. That's exactly the line I was just thinking I was going to say to you. How much had changed? Um, but uh, yeah, probably, probably not a lot. <laughs> I think technology, obviously they were using more advanced technology, but, um, you know, and, and people joke about the insurance industry being slow, but it's the sheer nature of what they do. I mean, it's it's the most incredible industry, I you know, I, I would highly recommend it to just about anybody. But I think for, for if I'm thinking specifically from a gender perspective, for women, it's an extraordinary industry to go into. It's also the industry that when there's a recession, I think about what we read in the press now, it's the industry that doesn't really fluctuate. You know, it's not going anywhere. It's It's still there and it's still providing you know, a tremendous level of service in the country and that doesn't fluctuate during a recession. So therefore, you know, you're not likely to see people laid off. It's a very stable industry, even if it has a tough year around claims, you know, it's it's still there and it still operates and it has its good years and its bad years but that's the sheer nature of the insurance industry anyway it's it's managing those ups and downs that you know it, it's steeped in experience of doing so um i think it's you know it's a lot more stable than most industries um financial services is of course 
a big backbone industry of the UK economy. Uh, so I think financial services is a tremendous sector to be in at any time. So it'd be interesting to get your views on that because, uh, I mean, obviously you've spent the last a number of years recently with NTT consulting into the insurance space. I'm, I'm sure, interestingly, I mean, a lot of the people that I've interviewed uh, in this series are, are people that are CIOs or something like that. So they, they may have only been in the same industry and same company even for, for the yeah. last two or three years. You're seeing the variety of a, of a lot of businesses. What, what, what's your kind of view on on where the insurance bit sector is now and what the kind of real challenges that they're, they're going to face from a, a kind of technology perspective in the next I think, next uh, well, there's, there's two challenges as I see it, and I, there's probably plenty of others, but the key challenge is holding on to staff because we have in this country a, a real challenge and it may well be in pockets. Of course, I can only really ever talk about London or, or globally. But I think this is true in other cities because, of course, you know, the industry isn't just confined to London. I think skills shortage is a huge challenge. Uh, people are being tempted away to other industries because they're paying more, particularly if they have technology skills. But just about any skills, you know, are being tempted away. So I think that's a challenge. From a day-to-day business-as-usual challenge, I think most most insurers are looking at how they really effectively use their data more creatively to be able to provide a better level of service and particularly to if they're trying to attract new young clients depending on what their business model looks like if it's in the london market i think you know understanding which parts of their business are profitable and being able to have greater levers to pull because they have a real handle on their data is something that's on most people's agenda. I, th- I think there is a piece around, if we go to the other end of the spectrum, there's a piece around um, you know, getting on top of your operating costs, making sure that you're you know, getting best bang for buck with your suppliers. I mean, that's never off the agenda. That's always on the agenda. I think defining and and being successful around diversity, equity and inclusion and sustainability, ES&G, those are on everybody's agenda. Some people more active than others in the insurance industry. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about the the data piece because I think a lot a lot of those uh, like the digital transformation stuff, data, using data more effectively, all that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think that 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 goes hand in hand with the um the the the, the, the kind of staff and people side of things as well because uh, there's this there's this constant obsession with people wanting to focus on insurance skills for data people or something like that. But then you're ultimately taking people from another person, another company that doesn't necessarily do that particularly well. That there's, uh, I mean, I talk about it a lot is, is this expanding our horizons a little bit and trying to take, get some, get some talent from outside of sector to, 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 to help with that. And I think that's, that's just a real hurdle that, that a lot of businesses really struggle to get over. Um, and uh, it's it interesting to see how that pans out over the coming years. If well, I, so I've seen a lot of, particularly around digital, actually, a lot of people come in from other industries and said, right, I'm here, I'm going to digitize this company, this insurance company that's been going for however many 
hundreds of years, you know, I've, I've come in with all the, the great ideas. And of course they have. The problem is the receipt, the recipient is not geared to accept that level of change. So they pretty quickly go back out again, depending on how digital native they are or how creative they are. They are. And I think I've seen a lot of that. Uh, and it's true from anybody coming in from another industry. You arrive and think, crikey, it's manna from heaven. I can radicalize and change this or this organization. But actually, the subtle piece is how you get your message across in an organization that is resistant to change. Yeah. That's the real art, isn't it? Yeah, I, I know. I know exactly what you mean. I've I've seen that myself so many times. People come in and the, on paper, the, the 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 idea of changing an industry is 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 a good one, but the reality is, uh, yeah. you, you've got some people there that have been there for ten. And, 15, and remember, years. The, these companies, particularly in the London market, they're very very successful at making money at what they know best. Yeah. Right. So to come in and suddenly go right, I'm going to now you know, radically change things around you. I mean, it, it really does depend on the person at the top. If they came in and said, you know, I'm going to streamline and make easier your underwriting process, that's that's one aspect, but you've got to hope that your underwriters are going to be on board with that and they very often are not. Yeah. And it's the, I think it's the the, the bulk in it sometimes, how much it, it, you see it quite a lot, don't you, that... The, you kind of dip the toe in the water. I think they've got got grand plans, and then then the cost elements start filtering in, and the actual amount yeah. of change, the reality hits, and then yeah. that suddenly yeah. becomes a bit too much to to, to take on. So, yeah. um, um, look, I, I mean, as, as as you know, like this, uh, that the theme of this podcast, this series, is to um, focus on uh, female leaders in in the space. Um, uh, you're very um, involved in in diversity and inclusion, and uh, obviously, I'm, I'm sure you've uh, had numerous experiences along the over the over the years, and it's probably changed drastically uh, in in your time in uh, consulting and financial services. So it'd be good to just talk about that a little bit. You I mean wh- where do you think kind of insurance is at at the moment? What's your kind of observation and and your I guess from a bird's eye view, where, where do you think they're at? Do you think we're in a good place, bad, indifferent? What, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, I think we're in an um, evolving place. So right. if I look at it, you know, so if you assume the many decades I've been in financial services, but also in insurance, uh, it's very different now to how it was back in the day. It's not that there weren't women, but they very rarely rose to the top of an organization back then and and that was just the nature of of women evolving in business generally i think now it's very different we're seeing more women come on to boards and leadership teams uh, and so on i think for me i still think there's a way to go around that and i think it's a combination of things so I think there needs to be more time spent with boards or leadership teams to help them to understand what it takes to have different types of people on your board or your leadership team thrive. So the way you approach a group of men thriving is going to be different to a group of women or or somebody of colour or somebody who's a member of LGBTQ. So... 
I think understanding that um, and and supporting and helping that. So, you know, and I say this because I have seen a number of women join boards and they've been isolated on their own. And if they failed, it's because, you know, it was a token woman who wasn't well supported. Yeah. I think, you know, as long as that's well understood and the acceptance that it takes time to understand it and, and to get that dynamic right, then I, I think, yeah, I'm seeing more and more diversity, gender diversity within the insurance industry. What I'm not seeing is enough people of colour rising to the top of an organisation or LGBTQ. And if there are members of the board or the leadership team who fit that profile, they're, they're either keeping it quiet still because they don't feel secure or comfortable enough to reveal it or, or perhaps they just don't want to and that's fair enough as well. What, what do you think? You mean, and I think it's a really interesting point. It's it kind of, uh, and, and, and actually f- through the conversations I've had, look, look, I'm, I'm still learning completely ab- about this as part of the reason why I wanted to do the podcast, to be honest. Um, but what, what do you think? Because uh, I, th- I think what you, you were saying there is that they, there needs to be more support and more of a platform for people to be able to rise up. What, 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 you mean, having been through and, and risen to, to, to yeah. really senior roles, what, what do you think that, ne- what do you think that really looks like, kind of specifically? What, because what, where, 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 where is it not happening, I guess, at the moment? I think it's a communication thing, isn't it? I think I've found in my own career, I've been extraordinarily fortunate because I've had, I don't think I'd have called them out as this initially, but I've had great mentors. I've had people who have seen something in me I, I perhaps didn't even see myself, you yeah. know, which was great. And I thank them for it because... I was supported and I was pushed further than I probably, you know, I've always been, I've always had a healthy ambition, but, you know, lacked the experience that I needed. And I've been supported around growing that, I think, you know, getting the experience uh, I needed. I wasn't jumping, in fairness, I wasn't jumping around a lot. I wasn't jumping every two years because I do have a concern around that, actually. Um, that people jump before they've actually gained the experience they need to move on and therefore they put themselves under stress. But answering your question, I think it's about being able to say, you know, the way the way in which we're interacting with each other, I need you to to give me greater support here or, you know, being being comfortable over time to ask for what you want and women you know, typically the, the analogy goes, and you'll have heard this, that typically women only apply for the next role if they've got 70 to 80% of what's required, whereas men are a lot lower because they have more confidence and they're bolder and perhaps their ambition is a bit more burning. And I think helping men to understand what it takes for a woman to be comfortable and successful is very different to managing, I think, a man. And I've managed both men and women, so I know that to be true myself. Uh, it's generalization, by the way. Not all women are like that. You know, I know women equally that are super ambitious and would apply for a role if they only have 40% of what was required. But 
I, I'll give you an example. In one of my roles, and senior role, I was being managed by a male boss and he had a particularly macho style of management yeah. and I was struggling with it. It was quite confrontational and I'm, I'm not particularly a confrontational person. I don't like anger and I don't respond well to, you know, and there was nothing wrong with him. He wasn't an aggressive person, but he was very kind of, he was used to managing men. And, mm. and I had to, over time, sit down with him and try and dig into that a bit because it was getting the worst out of me. And I, it was bringing up my emotion. I certainly didn't want that in the workplace. So... And that's a, a factor of being open and saying that I'm struggling with this. Can I just explore it a bit with you? Because I think you're used to managing men and I, I, it's not working with me and I'm feeling less than I should because of it. So can we work together on it? And, you know, actually it never occurred to him and we did work on it together and we brought in a third party to help us to work on it together and, and that really helped. And he said to me over time, you know, I, I didn't have any of that understanding at all. And that's really helped me to think about how I would manage women in the future. Mm. And that's what I mean. It's, it's a case of not just, you know, co putting up with it. It's a case of putting your hand up to say, hold on, this isn't working for me. And I can't quite work out why myself. Will you help me? Can we explore it together to try and find out a better way of interacting with each other so it's not confrontational or it's not like this because you're not getting the best out of me? Yeah, I, I, I really like that because I, I think there's, and, and, and I, I want to make sure I phrase this the right way, but um, I, I think there's often a, a focus on um, if we use, if we use uh, women in tech as a, as an example, it's like we we need to do more to get women in, in, into the, the space and provide a platform for them. And, and and of course that's that that's right. But I think what you're saying there is that actually it, it it's almost an equal responsibility. Like businesses and male leaders, etc. etc. need to need to understand that more and and put themselves out. And it sounded like you had a great boss there that is actually willing to accept that feedback, which is yeah. which is amazing. But uh, equally, at the same time, the, the women that are in that position need, need to almost kind of play their part in that and in, in bringing that to the forefront and, 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 and coming halfway to meet, I guess, is, is what you're absolutely saying. Absolutely right. I, I think um, when I first started getting involved with diversity and inclusion, women would say to me often, you've been a woman in business for years. How have you put up? How have you coped with the men? And I've said, hold on. That's the wrong question. You know, I've coped fine with the men. They're great. I love men. Mm. You know, actually, if anything, I'd had a few interesting moments with women as bosses. But the point yeah. is, it's about communication, isn't it? The core of whatever's going on, it's a not communicating with each other effectively issue more than it is I'm a man, you're a woman, you know. Yeah. And I think if you approach it that way, it becomes a lot easier it's not always going to work but I you know the other thing for me is a golden rule never work for anybody as a boss you don't respect and can learn from that's mm. just my that's just my flat rule yeah and I think I think that's uh it's interesting because that's actually what I've taken from a few I've done quite a few of these interviews now is that 
it's really about that openness for change, isn't it? And being open yeah. to, to discussing something because, I mean, I, I remember in the past, I had a similar situation where someone came to me and, 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 and brought this kind of thing. And, and often the person who might be perceived to be in the wrong, i.e. your boss in this scenario, that, that doesn't, doesn't even realize they're doing anything wrong. And actually it's worked for them for probably 10, 20 years. So actually, but being open to it and being open to having that conversation, like you say, that communication is, it's huge, I think. If you can get that right, then you're halfway there. And I think, um, you know, I'd like to think that that open dialogue has become easier than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, the days of, I'm the boss, you listen, there is no, I don't want your opinion, I think has gone. And, and that's a great thing. So you're pushing on an open door should be, you know, if you're not, then... That's to be thought about as well, isn't it? I think, you know, I, I've never had a bad experience, but again, that takes years to be comfortable to, to do that. And I, I, you know, at the beginning, I sort of did whatever I was told to do. You know, I didn't really question it at all. <laughs> but now I think it's, it's a different environment and you would hope that people are a bit more open to having that type of conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the other bit I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit is, and, and I think you've probably given a, a couple of bits of advice there is, and, and it, look, this isn't, this isn't uh, female specific, but um, you, you've, you've obviously been in numerous different businesses in senior roles and risen pr- pretty quickly. Um, so, some would probably say to you, like they say, you know, some people said to you, how have you done it with surrounded by men and, and all this kind of stuff, but Away from that, you mean, what advice would you give to people if people are in uh, industry now wanting to get into management consulting or vice versa and wanting to move up the, what, 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 what would be your kind of two or three absolute key bits of advice? I think the number one for me is listen. Yeah. Listen to what is going on around you. I, I used to, in business development, I would quite often tell the people in my team who were business developers, use use less of your mouth and more of your ears. Listening is an art form. But if you listen and you're willing to soak up everything going on around you, there's nothing wrong with asking questions about it. You know, I think people are terrified of saying, I don't understand. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always been the person going, sorry, I, I'm just not getting this. Can you just explain that one more time to me? You know, and sometimes in the past, people would go, for God's sake, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, but it, there's nothing wrong with doing that. I think asking for clarification or is there something I can read that would help me to understand this better mm. is a good one. But I think listening is crucial. And, and saying, you know, because people love talking about themselves. So if you said to somebody, I've observed you being really successful at this, how did you do it? Yeah. They'll give you chapter and verse. Or if you say, I think I understood this, but there's a bit missing for me. Is there anything I could read or would you mind taking five, ten minutes just to explain it a little better for me? Yeah. I can't think of anybody who wouldn't do that. Yeah, uh, you'd be good so, at recruitment, Kim. I think that was uh, that, 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 these are, these are kind of questions that I'm I'm preaching to every day about asking. But I think you're I think you're at the the, the the bit you said there. I think is people loved 
people love a bit of flattery and they lo- and they love talking about they themselves. Do. So if you can position it in that way, that's that's huge, isn't it? You get well, so much out of it. So on the networking front, because what shows up in a lot of people's careers is you need to network more and people are terrified about the notion of networking. And so I do coach on that. But I quite often told people once a month I would invite somebody far more successful than me for a coffee, lunch, dinner, whatever they were prepared to do. Coffee is is fine. It's easy for people to do or a breakfast. Can I come and ask you how you have been so successful doing X? I tell you, it's gold. You learn, I've learned huge amounts doing that. And people have basically educated me doing that. So, yeah, that's a top tip. So, so you would you would go to someone who might be more senior than you in your current company or working for someone else or both or what? You I mean, whoever, really? Whatever you're comfortable doing, I did it with both. But um, certainly once a quarter... Because fundamentally at the core of me, although it may, you'll laugh when I say this, I am actually quite shy. So I had to push myself to do this. Yeah. Once a quarter, I would uh, reach out to somebody who I had observed, read something on, whatever, and ask them if I could come and pick their brains. You know, in all the years doing it, only one person turned me down and that was after hundreds and hundreds of people have met with me to share their wisdom or experience. It's amazing, so, yeah. You know. it's, it, it's funny you say that being shy. My, my, my wife says to me all the time, I, to me, I hate, going, I went to a wedding last weekend where I didn't really know anyone and I, ha- I hate that. That feels really uncomfortable for me. She's like, you spend all your time speaking to people and meeting people you don't know. But I, was, I say, there's always a reason why I'm meeting them. I've got something to talk about. Going in there blind. Small and talk. To, to, small yeah, talk. That's what exactly. that, you hate small talk. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm the same. I hate weddings. It's it's the same thing because, you know, you go in and you don't know a soul. And you've got to think, well, how, how are we going to engage in conversation? <laughs> so what's the common thing? The weather, your holiday, what you do for a living. Yeah. Right? How do you know the groom? How do you know yeah. the bride? Yeah. That kind of thing. I had that in abundance for about eight hours. On no, it's that, exhausting. On it's so exhausting. If you find someone that plays golf, then I'm then I'm, yeah. I'm good. Get, get, I'm, I'm good for a couple of hours. I'll stick to them. But, yeah. but yeah. interestingly, networking is no different, is it? It's the same premise. The 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 one thing I advise on networking, you know, when you go to a conference and somebody says, "Oh, you need to network," and you think, "Oh yeah. no," and you walk in, you're the only person representing your company and you're on your own i advise always have three killer questions okay you know it could be as simple as what brought you to this conference today what are you the most interested in to get out of this conference and you'll start engaging in conversation and then hopefully it becomes organic yeah, amazing. I've got to, I've got two new things I can start doing uh, as of this week. So uh, free coaching. Um, so look, we're coming to the end now. So I, I always ask. There's there's three kind of questions I always ask at the end. The fir- first one is, what what is it you love about the insurance uh, space, and why why have you stayed in it for so long? Um, I I think the sheer nature of what the insurance industry does in this country, if you look at the amount of money paid out, by, you know, in claims every day, it's extraordinary. 
And it's a huge contributor to the UK economy. So, you know, but but also you can have a fantastic career. I've, you know, my career has been extraordinary and I put that down to the insurance industry. Mm. Yeah. What what's the, I mean this is being interesting actually because you've uh, you've obviously just recently changed uh, what you you're doing. So what what's the best thing about being behind your desk right now? Just the sheer nature of rolling up my sleeves and doing consulting again. So when you become more senior, you get further away from the cold face, and I'm back at the cold face, and I'm loving that. Yeah. Yeah. So are you and the the stuff that you're doing at the moment, obviously, kind of uh, a bit bit of a pitch of what what you what you're doing. I mean, what is it a mix of? Because I know you're doing some consulting stuff where you're supporting businesses, but kind of shaping and stuff like that. But you're still doing the coaching stuff as well. Is that is that totally separate? Or are they kind of yeah? Almost they're, together? They're, if you if you if you think the coaching and mentoring is something that runs through what I'm I'm able to provide. What I'm actually doing, having run the PL of the insurance business and NTT data and before that at Detica mm. in financial services, for any organization who is wants to grow around their consulting business, then I can come in and have a look at that and see what their strategy looks like and, and perhaps advise around that as somebody who's actually done it and grown successful consulting businesses. So I doubled the size of the insurance consulting business in NTT data. And the second part is that I set up diversity and inclusion in uh, Detica and became a, a member of the BA Systems DNI board globally. And then I set it up from scratch in NTT data. And last year, we rose 353 places on the independent Financial Times DNI index as a company because of everything we were doing. So I can come in and advise on DNI strategy or DENI strategy. So, and in fact, I'm just about to engage with a, a new client to do exactly that to come in and look at what they've currently got and find out what their aspiration is and then build them a strategy for how to get there. Yeah, amazing. Okay, great. So, um, like I say, I always do this quick fire round. It's just for a bit of fun. The first question is, what's the one piece of technology you couldn't live without? Uh, well, probably Teams. <laughs> teams, okay, cool. <laughs> you spend a lot of time on that at the moment. Well, I, I prefer face-to-face, but Teams got us through the last two years, right? I mean, Teams has to be, you know, Microsoft. Yeah, it's the first time I've had that, but you, you, I think that if you if we wouldn't have had that in the last two years, we'd yeah. have been in a real, real We'd have been dead in the water, wouldn't we? Yeah. What What's the brand or company you really admire and why? Oh, that's a good question. Ooh, let me think about that. Ask me another one and I'll come uh, back to it. Cool. Okay. Favourite business-related book? So many of them. They will be around diversity and inclusion. So I've read a lot of... Uh, books recently about um, the rise of African women. So I think, you know, and I'd have to go up and, and look the titles up, but I've just, you know, in the last couple of months, it's really been around that. So I think D and I am I'm understanding different perspectives from different parts of the world. If there was, um, if uh, this is a bit off piece, but if there was, if someone was kind of just starting to try and understand 
DNI more and and was is there any kind of like entry level book you'd say like go and read that book yeah that's there, one to like there, get there's the lots actually and um, perhaps what I'll do is Mark is I'll share a reading list because quite yeah, often amazing. when people are starting to think about it they say which is the best books and there are many and it's from different perspectives but let me provide a, a reading list to you and then you can I share can stick that. It in the show notes yeah i'll stick it in the show notes amazing um, um going back to your question i think it's it's melinda and bill gates's foundation so what melinda yeah. has done uh she's you know notwithstanding they've been through a painful divorce but the the fact that they are, and, and I think Bill's just recently stated this, that their main ambition is to give away their wealth to yeah. eradicate disease in the planet, but also to come up with different ideas to help people in desperately impoverished parts of the world to gain hope and, you know, education and so on. So I, I'm I'm very much a great admirer of any organization that spends a good proportion of their profit on giving back. To me, it's yeah. all about giving back. Yeah, I read, I, um, I read uh, I, I've got about halfway through actually the audio book of her book a, a while, a couple of, a couple yeah. of 18 months or so ago. And, it's amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's really, really interesting. It's uh, some of the stuff they've done. Is it, is it polio they've, they've yeah. kind of pretty much got? Yes. They've pretty much yeah. done that now. And, yeah. yeah. So oh, yeah, and malaria. Malaria is the other one where they were saying to to every um, company that they came across, if you just give this amount of money, you're providing this amount of mosquito nets, which are yeah. saving people's lives. Yeah, yeah, it's impressive stuff. For sure. Yeah. Uh, next one is favorite film or TV series. You can have one of each if you want. Favorite film of all time is. Uh, rather cheesy, but The Godfather 1, 2, and 3. And in fact, on Paramount Plus, there is a new series with Miles Teller, who was just in with Tom Cruise. He has just made a program or or a series called The Offer, which is about the making of The Godfather. And it's it's as the story is incredible. So watch that on Paramount Plus. Yeah. yeah, Godfather 1, 2, and 3. If you had to pick one of the three... One. Yeah, yeah, I'm kind of two. I've always thought two is better than one, but marginal, <laughs> isn't it? So if you weren't in technology and insurance, what um, what would you have been? A band spotter, a talent spotter for music. Oh, I love, wow. I couldn't live without music. I'm a huge rock fan. I've seen The Killers seven times. Uh, they, I was going to say, who's your favourite band? I don't have a favourite band because I, I love so much music yeah. um i can tell you i'm going to see bruce springsteen in hamburg and that will be the 14th time i've seen him he's got a stalking wow. order out <laughs> that's next year so yeah but spotting talent so i had spotted sam fender before anybody had ever heard of him really yeah wow. so i you know i i have a great ear for music i love music so i've got one for you this because uh this uh this is totally random, but my my uh, housemate at university, his dad was Roger Daltrey's PA. One oh, wow. massive in, in the US. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is how how night. You I mean when I was eighteen and went to university? That was huge. I, I wasn't. I, yeah. I wasn't. Well, you I mean 
the who weren't really but when no. I told my dad that he was yeah. he thought it was the best thing he'd ever heard so, yeah, about, yeah about. impressive there was a guy wasn't there I, I didn't I didn't do it because I'm a huge Led Zeppelin fan but Led Zeppelin rather famously got back together for one night and somebody in investment banking spent £28,000 to take his dad the ticket cost £28,000 for his dad so he bought yeah. two tickets to take his dad because it was his dad's favourite. And I love that story. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Uh, And then the last one is, who's your number one female role model? Uh, I think it's Dame Inga Beale, who okay. was the CEO of Lloyd's of London, uh, because she's incredibly generous as a, as a person. She's somebody I reached out to and asked her, over time if she would come and work with me and my team and she did she was incredibly brave by attempting to stop the drinking culture that can result in forms of abuse she is somebody that you just want to spend time around she's you know so i i think and she's she's incredibly charismatic so and very successful at what she does. So she has an amazing uh, plural career with the most incredible portfolio of Ned and chair roles. And, you know, and she's a dame, you know. So, yes, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, um, well, look, you mean that lead, brings us to the end. Um, Thank you so much for for taking the time to to speak to us. It's been uh, I've I've genuinely really enjoyed that. Uh, the time's flown by. Um, I'm sure there'll be people that want to reach out, maybe on a personal level. That you're probably going to get loads of people ask you to go to breakfast for them now and uh, and, and, and to, 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 to pay I'm it delighted. forward. <laughs> um, but uh, if anyone wants to get in touch on a kind of more personal level or um, for for your for business and consultancy, what's the best way to get hold of you? Through LinkedIn, all of my contact details are on LinkedIn and I'm uh, Kim Gray, G-R-A-Y. So, yeah. yeah, through LinkedIn. Cool. Well, we'll put a link to, to Kim's uh, LinkedIn profile in the in the show notes. So, um, but yeah, look, thank you. Thank you once thank again. You. It's been thank amazing. Thank you for asking me. Pleasure. Um, anyone else, let's like say anyone, I'm, think, I'm sure by now everyone knows how to get in touch with me if they want to, but um, keep, keep tuned in, subscribe, and we've got plenty more guests to come. So um, we will see you again soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Desk with me, Mark Thomas. If you like the episode, please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, like and a comment, and even better, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so at linkedin.com forward slash Mark Thomas and the number zero. It would be great to hear from you. Equally, if you have any suggestions for future guests or other areas you'd like me to explore, it would be great to hear them too. Behind the Desk is powered by Eames Consulting, part of the Eames Group. You can find out more about us at eamesconsulting.com. Thanks again for listening and I look forward to catching up with you again next time.